0: All Saints is a mystical and mysterious time in which we tune into the liminal space that thinly separates this world and the next. The veil becomes thin, as the Irish say, and our awareness of those who have gone before us opens our hearts to remember, reflect on, and respect the generations that have shaped our lives. All Saints, which we celebrate today, in particular, invites us to feel the spiritual connection with our faithful ancestors. We read the Beatitudes as a way of remembering those who have received blessing, those who are blessed by God and whose faith has shaped our faith. Matthew's version is a little unique. You may recall from our other readings of Matthew this year that he tends to elevate violence and judgment and was deeply influenced by the infighting of the Jewish Christian community of his time. There are nine blessings or happinesses in Matthew's Beatitudes in which Jesus is remarking on those who are in God's special favor. Luke has four blessings and condemnations, and Thomas shares three. Scholars confirm that Jesus certainly formulated the initial blessings, the poor, the hungry, the weeping. These are in tension with perceived blessings of our culture, in which prosperity, power, and happiness usually convey a blessed life. What's interesting in Matthew's version is that there is an addition of spirituality that would have been added to convey religious virtues rather than just social or economic. For example, in Luke we read, Happy are you poor, God's domain belongs to you. Happy are you hungry, you will have a feast, whereas Matthew adds, poor in spirit, and those who hunger and thirst for justice, or in the version we just read, happy are the people who are hopeless, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Happy are the people who hunger and thirst for righteousness, because they will be fed until they are full. The community of Matthew and his Beatitudes were were heavily influenced by religious differences, by persecution, and by infighting in the time of this Jewish-Christian community. Matthew also introduces four blessings not found in Luke or Thomas, and these blessings are usually translated as meek, merciful, those with pure hearts, and those who work for peace. These are virtues, not states of distress, like being poor or hungry. So one is receiving blessings for being virtuous, not receiving relief from distress. And this is interesting because people normally expect to be rewarded for being virtuous. These statements are not turning the world upside down like the original statements of Jesus. In fact, these virtues would have been well-known and accepted in Judean culture. There's no paradox. So scholars again easily note these were not statements by Jesus. When we reflect on the Beatitudes, I do think it's important to consider Jesus' intent with his statements. As with most things Jesus taught, he wanted to turn the world upside down, to expose materialistic and power-hungry agents of empire. So the saints that we most often and easily recall are people who considered themselves resistors of domination, hierarchical, or status-seeking norms. They are the ones blessed by Jesus, made happy by their juxtaposition to the worldly structures of their culture. And obviously, this is not as easy as we might think it is. We frequently engage in what Bishop Jake Owensby, in his lecture this afternoon um, in Dagwell Hall, he spoke of moral imaginary. We justify our position and our power through imagining our moral superiority, our virtuousness. Theologian Walter Wink writes, One faces the task of dying to the socially formed ego, in order to become the self one is meant to be. But rebirth is not a private, inward event only, for it also includes the necessity of dying to whatever in our social social surroundings has shaped us inauthentically. Rationalists may need to die to the idolatry of the mind, dominating personalities to their power, proud achievers to their accomplishments. Wink goes on to describe the depth of the tale told by the ego. Rooted in a system of power, we risk internalizing social conventions and defining ourselves on the norms of our time rather than transcending them. We may fall into the traps of virtuous ego-pleasing and remain in the power structure that Jesus is actually challenging us to defy. Today is one of the feast days in which we celebrate baptisms. And we baptized 9 children this morning at the 10:30 service. Baptism is our death and rebirth. We recognize the letting go of earthly structures as our death to be resurrected into God's kingdom made present here. On All Saints Day, we bring people into the fold of the Christian community so that throughout their lives they may be reborn with Jesus, reborn in paradox to this world. Richard uh, Rohr, a uh, beloved Franciscan monk, speaks to the posture of power, control, and righteousness, and virtuousness. He uses the example of the virtue of vegetarianism, and as a vegan, I thought this was really funny. He says, if it's used as our new way to be in control and morally superior, we are not enlightened. Enlightened. While crunching away on organic carrots, some assure their egos, bite by bite, I am right. (laughs) He goes on to write that you can tell something is in an ego control game if it's obsessive and not balanced with mind, heart, and soul. So he asks, how can we be fully present to another human being, if all we see is their eating habits so we can judge them? Obviously an example for much larger questions. What do you need to let go of in order to be reborn with God? I know there's things in my life I'll tell you, uh, college basketball season is starting back up again. Exhibition games are well underway. And my moral superiority as a Gonzaga basketball fan sometimes gets very real. I mean, for sure, we're better than Duke. (laughs) And sometimes I feel that as a Zag fan, I'm a better person than a Duke fan. (laughs) I mean, I'm just kidding. My colleague Sarah Strand is a Duke fan, and she's lovely. (laughs) But I do need to let go of being a Zag fan in order to authentically love Duke fans. They are, I can't even say it with a straight face, beloved of God too. (laughs) And I'm reborn each moment that I'm open to that. The humility involved in virtuous reward is a really tricky line to walk. And in Matthew's community, there was surely virtue signaling going on, just as we see it today in times of deep division. These are only natural human responses to conditioned world of power. So when Matthew says, this is how you gain status with God, of course there were people clamoring to claim virtue. We need to die to the socially contrived notions of even virtuous and allow the authenticity of ourself with God to shine through. Saints are not saints because they exemplify particular virtues all the time. They are saints because they choose authenticity and love beyond social norms and even beyond proclaimed virtues. Moment to moment, we can let go and be reborn with God. Moment to moment, finding blessing, happiness, not in what soothes our ego, even if it seems virtuous, but in what draws us closer to God and one another. In the leaflet for this season, Broderick quotes priest and author Sam Lloyd, coming to church doesn't excuse me, doesn't save our souls, but it shows us the things that do. Checking off the Beatitudes does not make us a saint, nor does coming to church. We need to be wary of our moral imaginary. What brings us close to God is the commitment to love authentically, claiming our path with Jesus and defiantly sharing our commitment to turn the world upside down in the name of authentic love. This will challenge a world that blesses power, prosperity, and create a world that claims love and belonging for all.